Welcome to the Absolute Purpose Project, a podcast series by Absolute PR and Marketing that investigates inspiring and enlightening individuals, brands, and organizations that focus on purpose as a force for good. In our podcast series, we will explore the best ways of communicating purpose through the eyes of some of the UK's most inspirational communicators and their compelling and often quirky stories. The Absolute Purpose Project is an extension of the work the agency has been doing for the last 20 years in guiding brands to deliver environmental and social impacts through action, innovation and communication. We are extremely excited to be introducing our next guest, Rob Hopkins, founder of Transition Towns, a movement that has been growing since 2005, where community-led transition groups are working for a low-carbon, socially just future with resilient communities, more active participation in society, and a caring culture which is focused on supporting each other. The practice is very hands-on and includes methods to really imagine the changes we need such as setting up a renewable energy project, relocalizing food systems, and creating community and green spaces to nurture cultural and mindset changes that really support social and environmental change. This approach has spread now to over 48 countries in thousands of groups, in towns, villages, cities, universities, schools. Around the world, there are 23 transition hubs that support and connect through the sharing of inspirational stories and knowledge. Welcome to The Purpose Project, Rob Hopkins. How are you? Hi, I'm very good. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So I was working, actually, with a digital fashion designer recently, and um, one of something that I found really interesting that he said was, um, Jenny, this is a, uh, a moment in history. It's going to be called Transition. What do you think about that? Do you think we're sitting in a really pivotal moment in history? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because because basically either... So it's going to be a moment of massive, massive transition, whatever. If you read the IPCC reports of where we're going to go if we continue as we are now, it's, it's a horrible transition. It's a transition from which there's really no way back again the implications for millions and millions and millions of people around the world are unspeakably horrific. You know, we're, 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 we've gone up 1.2 degrees pre-industrial levels. 1.5 is what the China world, the world leaders are trying to keep us below and, and failing at it. Two degrees, one at 1.8 degrees, you start seeing the collapse of food bowls around, around the world. It's just terrifying. So, but there is another transition that we could do which is towards a much lower carbon way of doing things, much more democratic models, much more community ownership of things and investment of things, a different food system that doesn't depend on the misery and exploitation of billions and billions of animals. You know, there cities with cities with very few cars and amazing public transport and amazing infrastructure for cycling, um, mm-hmm. you know, much healthier people, much less stressed mental health, a, a better way, better ways of working, kind of removing precariousness and home, homelessness from society. We can do all of that. And so some people say, oh, well, that's a really big transition. It's like, yeah, but, but compared to the other one, you know, I'd go for that every day. Like the, the, the United Nations recently said, 
they said all chance of staying below one and a half degrees is now finished unless we see a rapid transformation of society. And so all the newspaper articles and magazine covers all around the world ran with 1.5 degrees is over. Nobody said, why don't we do that rapid transformation of society thing? That sounds really great. It's not like things are working swimmingly as it is anyway. So for me, it's like there will be a transition inevitably. Yeah. We need to be really clear that one of them is potentially is, is catastrophic. The other one is very ambitious, requires us to reimagine everything, but it could absolutely be the making of us. Absolutely. Could be the most thrilling time. That that transition, what I always say to people, that transition, to live through that transition could be the most thrilling moment in history to live through. Yeah. Could be absolutely in the most exhilarating, be like living through a revolution of the imagination. And I really, really hope that I get to see it. Oh, me too. I really do, Rob. Really do. So what do you feel that the pandemic, for instance, has done for transition? I feel like the pandemic showed us that the myth that we had been given for years, that change could only happen in small little incremental steps, was a total myth and a complete nonsense. And that we saw that some local authorities eradicated homelessness in a week you know we saw companies who make formula one engines for racing cars switching over to making ventilators within about three weeks we saw people paid not to go to work we saw the idea that you can only be a successful business if you fly your team to paris for a breakfast meeting once a month as being the total nonsense yeah. it always was that you can only be a successful academic if you fly around the world reading out your paper at different conferences just do it online you know we saw we also saw in the first lockdown in particular a huge burst of creativity when people had space all of a sudden people had no space everyone's exhausted dashing around so busy all the time that first month you saw people writing the novel they always wanted to do doing online art classes whole families doing amazing complex dance routines people dressing up like old masters paintings and for those first few weeks people would could step out of their house and it was like stepping into a transition future there was hardly any cars there were no contrails in the sky you know it was the most beautiful spring i've ever seen you know so people got a taste of that and I think there's loads of things that we were told before that we now know just to be a complete nonsense. And of course, we can uh, we can rethink things on a massive scale. Of course, you can find the money if you decide something is an emergency. Of course, actually, governments can sit down with science, with scientists and experts who tell them something is an emergency, and then act like it's an emergency and find the find the money, change what needs to be changed in order for us to be dealing with that as an emergency. Compared to COVID, climate change is much, much, much bigger, more urgent uh, crisis than COVID ever was, and we need to treat it with that sort of urgency that we saw during COVID. So, if someone listening now they're listening to the things you're saying you know in your mind if you could just say like literally one thing that we can all personally do on an immediate basis to take action what would it be that's, that's, that's such, it's kind of such a difficult question because ultimately the answer to that is is change the system because the system is broken but that's really difficult and that's why 
that needs that's something that we can't really do on our own and it's why i would really urge people to go to london on april the 10th to 14th to be part of the big uh, extinction rebellion uh, demonstration there because we need as many many people as possible and and hopefully anyone who was saying well i like extinction rebellion i like i agree with what they're saying but i don't agree with their tactics the whole point of that rebellion is to say We've suspended all those tactics. We need bodies on the street. If you care about this, come down and join us. But I would say as individuals, I mean, I I stopped flying. I, gave, I, I stopped flying in 2006. I haven't flown since. And, uh, and I've managed to be part of starting a movement that is now active in nearly 50 countries around the world. And there's loads of places I won't be able to go to. But actually... I, I, there's loads of places near where I live I hardly know at all. And I, I just travel to places I can reach by train and it hasn't depleted my quality of life at all. It's improved it, if anything. So I would say flying, I would say meat, and I would say uh, filling your life with stories of, of change uh, as a positive thing. Maybe those three things. I've given you three, you asked for one, I've given you three. But it's very hard, very hard to narrow it down to one. Love, I love all three of those. The convenience of life, I mean, we've just all got to stop being treating it so conveniently, I think, in terms of flying. You know, there are a lot of people on this planet who are still flying very carelessly around from place to place. And, you know, it's, a, it's an important thing for them to reduce down. Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting, you know, when you look at, you know, when I go to when I go to cities and, you know, you see people, particularly in cities now, that have amazing cycling infrastructure and people sitting in cars for hours as all the bikes just go flying past. You know, you think, well, well, where's the convenience here? I'm sorry, I don't quite get why the car, you know, as as things change now, you know, I, I was in Utrecht recently in, in Holland where 33,000 people cycle into the centre of Utrecht every day. And they have massive underground bike parks. I went there to record what the bicycle rush hour sounds like so I could play it to people. They have like, um, in the Netherlands, the Dutch government invests half a billion euros every year in cycling infrastructure. In the UK, cycling infrastructure means a line painted on the street and somewhere to lock your bike where it'll probably get nicked from anyway. In in in, in Utrecht, in, in, in the Netherlands, it means like underground car parks that repurposed as bike parks that will hold 12 and a half thousand bikes. It means cycling infrastructure so you can cycle all around the city and never come into contact with the car. It means that on the app, when you come into Utrecht, those signs that when you come into a city in this country, that tell you how many car parking spaces there are in the different car parks in the city. They have that for bicycles and they invest that money because they're aware that it will, that it saves them. 19 billion euros off the national health budget so 54 percent of people in, in holland have a bicycle the average person in the netherlands lives six months longer than the european average and is healthier for longer so we need to be thinking in a much more joined up kind of a way it's cheaper to give someone who's homeless somewhere to live than to have them on the streets and all the mental health costs and the policing costs and all of that you know we have to start thinking more joined up about about this stuff i think so what's next for you? Uh, what's next for me? Well, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment is something that I love, which is, is called Field Recordings from the Future, which is because for me, one of the main things we need to do is to help people to imagine what that future would be like. 
it's like mm. the poet Rilke said, the future must enter into you a long time before it happens, which is beautiful. And I feel like we need to be much better at doing that as activists. And so, um, so I go to visit places like Utrecht, like Freiburg in Germany, where they have the biggest car-free neighborhood in Europe. 3,000 people live in this neighborhood with no cars. To a project in Cornwall, where they've reintroduced beavers and transformed the landscape uh, around there. The biodiversity has just exploded since they introduced the beavers. Projects like that, and then I make recordings of them, and then I'm working with an amazing ambient electronic music artist called Mr. Kit, who then builds these sort of soundscapes tracks that incorporate music and these field recordings and the idea is that they, it helps people to have a kind of an immersive step into what that future could be like because ultimately what 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 my work is is about longing you know we're only going to do this if we can cultivate longing in people for that future and we can only do that with art with artists we need we need painters and street artists and video people and, and, and musicians to help bring that alive for people. Scientists can't do that very well. Artists can do that really, really beautifully. And so I'm working on this project and then we're also starting to work hopefully with an amazing cartoonist who lives in Belgium called Thomas Liera to create a graphic novel of mine and, the, and Mr. Kit, who's the artist, uh, travels in our time machine into the future and how we got there and what we found when we got there and what we brought back. I feel like there's a there's a guy called Gregory Clace who I interviewed on my podcast recently, who's a utopian, writes about utopianism, and he said, only the extraordinary will save us. And I'm kind of trying to bring that into my work. You know, actually writing reports, who reads them? Writing books, some people read them. Making comic books, making music, maybe that's a different way to reach people. Nice. So how will you put that, that project out, for instance, and when will that happen? We've done, we're, our aim is to do eight tracks. We've done five so far. We're going to be finished by the summer. And we're talking to a record label about whether they might release it. I don't know yet. It's a bit early doors, but but it's absolutely beautiful and it's one of the loveliest things i've been part of so it will come out whether whether it needs to wait and come out together when the comic comes out how long that takes i don't know i'm kind of in the middle of it all and trying to figure it out but i but i but it feels to me like there is something really you know we we need to we need to find those ways to tap into people's longing you know i recently watched the handmaid's tale people listening who have seen mm. that, margaret atwood's terrifying grim dystopian uh series about about the, about a future and what yeah. dystopian fiction is often very good at taking places that people know really well and they did it brilliant in the handmaid's tale mm. and then creating a dystopian version of it you know the, the the lincoln memorial all smashed up and places in america with massive crosses put up and stuff like that we don't really do that the other way round. and i and i and i feel like we need to get a lot better at creating what i call pop up tomorrows you know taking places people know really well and using them to give people a taste of of, of how the future could be so I, fi I find like my work is going kind of increasingly off-piste <laughs> of kind of what's expected you know i love that idea though and i think it could be really useful particularly for people who haven't got that instant sort of connection to these things yeah yeah and and you know i like the the inputs that we get are so important. You know, I remember when I was watching the World Cup, whenever that was in November, and you're watching the World Cup and all the advertising hoardings around the side are for, are for fast food companies, mm. airlines, fossil fuel companies, 
if you go to watch uh, Forest Green Rovers near Stroud, who were this amazing sort of ecological football team, th those messages around the pitch are actually giving you tips on how to reduce your carbon footprint in your life. Uh, all the food is vegan in the stadium. The pitch is organic. The cotton the players wear is organic. They're building a new stadium that's going to be completely solar powered. You know, it should be, it should be, all this stuff should be becoming really normal. It should be, if you watch EastEnders, there's, everyone has a garden growing food. All the houses have solar panels. People are talking about it. There's less and less cars. And, you know, it's like... Need to normalise. That's, this stuff needs, it needs to get into our culture, into our shared cultural uh, narratives and just become normal. No, and also the movies, every, yeah, everything really. Yeah. Like there's so many things that are just, that are just saying, no, 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 it's fine. We can just keep going like this. And there's not many things that go, no, 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 what are you doing? Of course we can't. You know, we, we need to rethink things and it could be thrilling to do so. So coming to the last question, which is a regular one from our end, we always like to ask, what is your morning routine? What sets you up for the day? <laughs> I get up about uh, 20 past seven and I have a, a, I have like a little trampoline thing that I do like a, because I, I, I used to go swimming every day in the swimming pool and COVID just knocked my swimming on its head and I haven't been able to rebuild my swimming practice. So I do like a sort of 35 minute workout thing on this trampoline and then covered in sweat and looking like a tomato, I go and have a shower. And then I kind of tend to do just like a little bit of work for a while. And then I have some breakfast. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. Good. A little bit of exercise. <laughs> A bit. I start try and start with a bit of exercise to try and keep the middle age spread at bay and to uh, and to kind of get the oxygen flowing around the body before I try and do anything else. Yeah. Quite right. Um, and Rob, is there anywhere that the listener can find you? Where should they find you? So my website is robhopkins.net. I'm on Twitter as Robin Transition. I'm on Instagram just only because my son said, Dad, no one under 30 ever looks at Twitter. So I'm on Instagram, although it's, it strikes me as a very pretty vacuous medium. But I'm on there as Rob Hopkins 5085, I think. And I do, and the podcast that I do, you can either find on all platform, all podcast platforms, is that what they're called? Or if, if you want to subscribe, so subscribers get episodes the moment they come out and they get bonus episodes too. And that's at patreon.com slash from what if to what next. Or I can often be seen cycling uh, uh, down Totnes High Street. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Absolute Purpose Project. Please feel free to follow our work at Absolute PR Marketing, our handle across all channels. And please don't forget to rate, subscribe and share our podcast with all your friends. <laughs>